Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yeah, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel the gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast on Fox Sports. Wow, it's happening. It's actually happening. James Sutherland is on the show. It's an absolute honour and a privilege to have the CEO of Cricket Australia on the show today. And hopefully the throwdowns we provide will whet the appetite much in the same way the first test just around the corner at the Gabba does to us all. Izzy Westbury from the UK is on the phone to tell us what's going on with the England squad, uh, the result of the women's ashes at North Sydney Oval over the weekend. Elise Perry's 213, now the greatest double hundred scored by Perry on that ground. Australia's squad is announced on Friday. Do we know anything more than we did a month ago? And what, if anything, does any of this mean? We'll answer all of your questions in hashtag RSTGC and some of the ones that you didn't. My name is Ian Higgins. I'm joined, as ever, by Sam Perry and Dave Edwards. Boys, we only have to fake it for another seven days because the first test is a mere week away. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling it here, guys. I'm really starting to feel the excitement. Um, but also some irony in my voice there as well. It still, it still just has been another week of um, making up stories just to keep the whole thing going. But when we talk next week, yeah. the ashes will be imminent. Yeah. Even so, we should, we should do well today. And I liked how you said, he goes, that... Um, what does any of this mean? Because we're continuing the postmodern theme mm. from last week. Uh, you know, postmodern. What about? I mean, what about Renshaw, the ultimate modernity, last year, and now he's uh, mm. on the nose, as they say. Is he going to play? Well, we don't know, do we, Pez? I mean, we're going to have to wait till a Friday. I think it is when the test side is announced. But I mean, look, Bancroft is hitting runs. We're talking about Bancroft now. There's been a bat off. Renshaw was involved in a bat off. Uh, uh, avoid the um, easy joke there. Uh, he in that he had a forty-five. <laughs> I think hour, you got a bit a, of it in. <laughs> he had a forty-five-minute net session this week against Stark, Cummings, Hazelwood, and Bird, and I believe this was watched intensely by Lehman and maybe even Pat Howard was hiding behind the net somewhere watching it as well, voyeuristically. So much scrutiny around Renshaw. Is he going to open? I mean, he only hit one hundred and eighty in his last Test match in Australia. But that was a year ago. Is that recent form? What do runs even mean? What does any of this mean? <laughs> Can we go just back um, a minute, get back onto Renshaw by just highlighting that I think you just said Pat Cummings. I think you did it. Did I? I think you put the G in. I think you put the G in the Cummings. 
Uh, I apologise profusely um, for the slip of the tongue there. It's Pat Cummins. I know this. Everyone knows this. And again, <laughs> public apologies from my behalf. But can we move on um, and just get back onto the Renshaw topic, if possible? Yeah, Thank you, Renshaw. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Renshaw. I mean, as you, as you rightly point out, Dave, he faced the he faced the four pace prong attack. Geez, that's hard to say. Um, of Bird, Hazelwood, Stark. Pat Cummins as well. And uh, as you say, Pat Howard was there. Darren Buff Lehman was there. Renshaw just battling balls in the nets. And they reckon that he's going to play. They reckon he's going to play now. Must have been a good net. Must have been a seriously good (laughs) net. You know how in the nets when, like, you just get a half-timed cover drive and it just flies into the net and and everyone says, shot, mate, shot, mate. But you don't know what the ball's done past the net. Like, it gets to the net and you just have to envisage where the ball's gone. Like, has it pierced the field beautifully? Was the timing good? Like, what are the acoustics of the net? Mm. Maybe it wasn't that good a shot. (laughs) There's so many things you have to consider. It's actually the opposite of, like, when you miss time a cover drive and it looks like it's flown, like, for four Mm. and you you didn't even quite get that (laughs) one. But then the one that you bomb directly straight out of the net for no reason not because you would never hit a straight six in a match you just do it because you want to see the the parabolic arc and then you can walk down the net and go walk past nathan Lyon or whoever you've just hit and you said you can just say didn't even get it so it's all that's just net tactics net politics I think that's the same thing that uh, Mitchell Stark said when he got a a twin hat trick or whatever they call it (laughs) didn't even get it well he he did (laughs) even though you've described yourself as not even the best bowling you've ever performed (laughs) <laughs> I'm curious about this Renshaw, uh, this Renshaw net, because I, as, as the listeners yeah. know, I'm in London, so I woke up this morning and tried to scan the news for what had happened in the last day of Shield cricket, and part of that yeah. is going on the uh, very impressive cricket.com.au website, and I'm not saying that because James Sutherland's on later and we're mm. just in their pockets now. We're not at all mm. um, open, though. Mm. But um, <laughs> the first article on cricket.com.au was not yeah. about what had happened in the actual Sheffield Shield cricket, but this net that Matt Renshaw had mm. after the game. Uh, and, like, I have a slightly different take on it when I thought about that. I thought, how, uh, like, scary would that net be when you've literally played a match against the opposition for four days prior? They'd skittled you. Your name is being um, bandied about as someone who's going to be possibly dropped. You're, mm. you're 20. And now you have to mm. face a test attack in the nets while the coach and Pat Howard looks on. It's, it's, it's like, it's possibly the worst audition of all time, isn't it? It's also <laughs> an audition against your mates. Like your mates are trying to get you out. Like that, that's just cricket in a nutshell, isn't it? Like you, you kind of play against your teammates. You play with them, but you play against them as well. And these guys, their modus operandi is to make Renshaw, you know, put him in all sorts and essentially make sure he doesn't play in the first test. Conflicted you know feelings. How in the Lion King, you know how in the Lion King when when Simba sings that that song, "I can't wait to be king," but then he's sad yeah. when Mufasa dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is this is the same thing as that. Yeah, he definitely wants to be that? king, doesn't he? He <laughs> definitely wouldn't pass that opportunity down if it arises, and does. The thing about Matt Renshaw is, though, is he's only twenty. Yeah, I, I that factors in my thinking a lot about Renshaw. Like, I was a big Renshaw man until the other day and uh one thing that no seriously like i think it would be really difficult for someone like him at age 20 who is clearly in a form slump uh possibly a major one as well to fix that under the microscope that he will be under he's 
it's likely he's never been in a major form slump in his life. And to try and do that in the midst of an Ashes series, possibly the biggest one, uh, the, the biggest set of test matches that have been in this, you know, in Australia for four years since the last one, is um, is, an, is a monumental task for him. I, I wonder whether it would almost be in his interests to not play as, as counterintuitive as that sounds, um, particularly when you have another guy, an opening batsman, who cannot stop scoring runs and has been kind of mm. fated for a while anyway in Bancroft. You know, batting is a strange art and uh, he's got a couple of demons now, Renshaw, and, you know, it just would be really difficult to fix at this point, especially if it's bad. So, okay, lads, then what about the number six position? We're still none the wiser there. No one's really scored enough runs in any of these Shield matches. I mean, the ball has definitely dominated, and it even did so in the uh, CA11 game against England as well, the Adelaide Oval, another uh, day-night match. Uh, number six, though, Maxwell versus Cartwright seems to be the two options there. Who are you fancying? Who are you seeing? Who are you looking at? He, he goes, I feel like this is one of those situations where like, you have to hire someone that you're not 100% comfortable with. Like you know, you've got to fill the role. There's, you know, there's a couple of candidates. Maybe one guy came across pretty smug in the interview. And there's maybe another guy who's like a huge glaring gap in his resume from 2012 to 2014. What did he get up to? You don't know, but he came across well in the interview. But ultimately, you need to fill the role because it's not business as usual. Otherwise, you need to fill this role. Otherwise, business will be affected. So, it's a difficult one for the selectors. Um, no one's a lock for this position. But you can't just not fill it and, and save money. <laughs> yeah, we won't just, we'll just let it go for six yeah. months and won't fill it. Like, you have to have a number six batter um, in the middle of the order. So they have to pick someone. There's maybe not any one person who's perfectly right for the role. And I still maintain my queries over what a number six is anyway. Um, but if it's Maxwell v. Bancroft, and I think that's what we're kind of talking about at the moment. Um, or Cartwright as well. Sorry, Cartwright, Cartwright, Cartwright. Maxwell. Jeez, I, I don't even know anymore. I don't have an opinion. I'm not, I'm not paid for, to have opinions. Sam Perry, what was Glenn Maxwell doing between the years 2012 and 2014? <laughs> so I was trying to fit in the gaps of who was whom there when uh, they was talking about the interview people. Uh, Which one's Simba? Yeah, I think Maxwell's definitely the person with the gap from 2012 to yeah. 2014 when he was sort of saying that he could reverse sweep as comfortably as others could cover drive. Yeah, it's and like my cover drive. And severely repair his uh, reputation. But... Um, yeah, I'd probably be inclined to stick with Maxwell, but I think that they might actually plump for Cartwright because they love him a lot and they also are very set on the idea that that sixth batsman has to bowl seam up, even though Cartwright doesn't bowl, which is so it's completely illogical. Or when he does, it's terrible. With respect, mm. Ricky Hilton, Ponting if you're listening. has backed Hilton Cartwright to fill that number six position. And I put it down to, I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys remembered this, uh, it was against Pakistan, the SCG test match, a dead rubber test match. Cartwright came in at uh, four for, I think, Australia 1,075. And he hit his first ball in test cricket, just the most perfect cover mm. drive for four. Oh. And if you're telling me that's not going to get him a berth in the first test match, then you don't know cricket. Uh, the way he, I still remember that cover drive. He goes like, "It's painted on my memory," and the, it was just the product of ball machine after ball machine growing up in Australian cricket. Hard wickets, all angles, <laughs> elbows straight, front dogging it. <laughs> the uh, the front front dogging almost sounds like a sexual position, doesn't it? But, uh, and, and I wonder, I wonder how. Oh no, is that libel? I was just going to say, Greg Chappell must have felt very good when Hilton Cartwright played that cover drive because that would have been the manifestation <laughs> of Australian cricket policy in one shot. Yeah. You know, this yeah. 
Yeah. This big, chesty, yeah. new guy yeah. with a baby face looking massive, <laughs> hitting a cover drive for four of his yeah. first ball. Oh, my God, it's Shane Watson all over again. Baby face with tights <laughs> and just levers. Yeah. And he's sponsored by Jugs, the ball machine. Uh, all right, lads, uh, wicket keeper, Wade Neville Bancroft. Who are you going for? Who do you fancy? This is really interesting, he goes. Yeah. I don't have a um, an industrial relations metaphor like Dave, but I feel like if they okay. change, um, <laughs> if they change the opener... Then they might and and they bring in Cartwright as six. They might be reluctant to make another change away from Wade. I mean, I can't see why, how, or why Matt mm. Wade should be picked uh, with respect to him. But um, I think that's mm. that's one of the things in Wade's favour. If it's not Wade, mm. it it has to be um, Peter Neville, doesn't it? And I also think that um, it would be a pretty big ask to debut Cam Bancroft as a batsman mm. who keeps as well. It's mm. got to be one. Absolutely. I mean, Wade, not the best keeper, not the best batsman. Neville, arguably the best keeper of the three, not the best batsman. Bancroft, arguably the best batsman, never kept. You know, he doesn't keep that much. So, look, I think, yeah, we're going to probably lean towards Neville, aren't we? But we just want everything in one player. Ever since Gilchrist, mm. I think we just need to accept that there's no such thing as the perfect man. The perfect man doesn't mm. exist. <laughs> John Eels. Um I don't know if uh, I don't know if you guys caught this on the uh, cricket.com.au uh, Twitter feed, but they showed uh, Peter Siddle actually uh, forgotten quick in many ways. Peter Siddle bowling his former Victorian teammate uh, uh, Matt Wade. He bowled him with a pull shot, and the hashtag used was Jaffa. Um, oh, hmm. I I don't know if that ball could be described as a Jaffa when you get bowled playing a pull shot. Thoughts? Hmm. Well, uh, I think it was an exceptionally poor shot. I mean, I guess it did hit the stumps. Ooh. So it's doing it's doing something right, and I would also dispute that he's a forgotten quick if you're in Melbourne or Victoria because um, Sids is all they talk about. Yeah, Vicks do it better, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> Guys, I want to ask better. you just quickly. Just this, I mean, this is this is off the agenda, but I'm just looking at the Australian lineup, and you got the names who are definitely there: uh, Warner, Kawaja, Smith, and Hanscom. And, and I was kind of thinking. Hanscom hasn't really impressed so far, has he? I mean, he hasn't really... I mean, he's obviously played most of his test matches thus far in the subcontinent, which is a hard place to bat for anyone. But to me, he hasn't really done that well. But then I look at those other names, and Kawaja averages 60 in Australia. Um, Warner is likely to score seven second innings hundreds um, this this Ashes series in five test matches. Steve Smith averages a million uh, in Australia. So all these guys can just bat in Australia, can't they? And that's what we want. We just want to bat in Australia. I think yeah. Hanscom will uh, eventually... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's the brief. <laughs> Guys, we just want you to bat in Australia. <laughs> I think Hanscom belongs among those guys. I, th- I think he... Uh, okay. I think he'd be mates with them. I think they'll have accepted him by now. He, he did yep. um, play a few good innings overseas, but as we know, if it yep. didn't happen at home, it never happened. And I think he averages pretty high at home as well. So, uh, Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think he'll be okay. But yeah, just be good in Australia and just make us happy and help us remember what <laughs> things were like when things were good. And that's all we ask. <laughs> Bradman, he was good. Guys, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, 
this this time of year is just Christmas for ex-players. And, and of course, that sort of generation of, like, the really good Australian team of the early 2000s and late 90s, this is their time to come out and just say, remember when I used to play? Have you noticed that? Like, there's just a lot of... I mean, yeah. sure, a lot of these guys get asked specifically for their opinions, and they're yeah. completely entitled to give it this is a podcast from three great cricketers who've done nothing contributed nothing to the game but like you know just, there's just like these really yeah. strong opinions and it just screams to me remember and i used to play oh the the relevance factor goes through the roof doesn't it um, it's not just restricted to cricket it's like ex-politicians on election day on sky news like graham richardson <laughs> banging on about hawk and keating and what it was like in labor in the 90s um yeah people just love to be asked for opinions of what they were like you know back in the day and yeah, as you say, this is Christmas time for, for test, former test greats. But I, I lap it up too. You know, if you're a producer and you, mm. you, know, you were looking mm. for comments, surely you'd go to the people Fill who did content. well. But they were, yeah, exactly. Mm. I, I, I lap it all up because it just reminds me of how good people were and how good things used to be. Uh, yeah. And, and mm. I think the players do as well. I did notice that a lot of the players' <laughs> comments are very geared along state lines though as well like there's this kind of strange yeah. Yeah. like state parochialism happening <laughs> in the last week or so so i saw justin langer plumped for cam bancroft and they like like langer Ooh. coached renshaw over the um you know over the off what we call it the off season uh, while lehman was away um so he's plumped for bancroft uh yeah. but then matt hayden you know his partner his great partner in crime and um sometime lover um, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> said that's wrong, and, and Renshaw should get uh, should get the nod. And then Steve Waugh has plumped for Moses on Reeks from New South Wales. Yeah, Brad Hodge has yeah. plumped. Everyone's plumping here for Glenn yeah, Maxwell. Plumping. Everyone's plumping. Um, nothing for Wade though. Actually, Ricky Ponting plumped for Neville. <laughs> <laughs> nothing for Wade. He crossed the floor on Wade. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it, Pez. I mean, look, states are self interested actors. I mean, if I learnt nothing else. And international relations at, at university, it's it's that. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just think I just think they're going to back their state. Is aren't that they? what you thought Look, when the lecturer was talking about state? He thought about Shield cricket. I thought about Shield, Shield cricket when Gil Meron yeah, was up there away, in, in, in World Politics One Hundred and One, Sydney University. States are international actors. Oh, that's, how does that play into uh, terrorism? How, well, like the fortunes <laughs> of Queensland cricket. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to subscribe to the realist paradigm? Uh, Isn't this, though, like, I'm sure, I, I, in fact, I know, I know for a fact that, you know, the, the current uh, state representatives obviously care deeply about the Sheffield Shield and the, or the JLT Cup and the JLT Shield and everything else they do. But, like, I feel like the, the state representatives, it, it meant a lot more, you know, representing your state meant a lot more to, to you know, Justin Langer, Steve Warmark, yeah. or, uh, you know, Matthew Hayden, because, because they played a lot more for their state. You know, they played, like, mm. almost full seasons, these guys, whereas now, you know, Steve Smith, Dave Warner, they played two games at the beginning of the year, then they fuck off back to a camp where they hit some more balls in a net. And they generally played for their state throughout their career. Like, they didn't hop around, did they? They they were true blue to their mm. state from, from ball mm. one throughout their entire career. So they do retain that <laughs> parochialism. And, you know, Justin Langer, of course he's going to do that, isn't he? JL. Mm. All right, lads. Uh, the women's ashes is a thing that's been going on. And the test match was a, a roaring success at uh, North Sydney Oval. I was actually uh, a party to the crowd on Friday evening. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. I think there was about 3,500 people there Friday afternoon after work. Rolled down there, a couple of mid-strength lagers, and it was absolutely sensational. Uh, Australia were in a bit of trouble, actually. England got, I think, about 270, and then the end of the day's play uh, that I saw, day two, Australia were four for 100. Elise Perry was at the crease, 79 out, 
70 not out overnight, racks up her first century the following day on Saturday and then goes on to complete a stunning double century, 213 not out. Um, Pez, you also have the last name of Perry and you scored a double hundred on North Sydney Oval. Number two. Let's make this about you. <laughs> I was going to say Sydney that Oval, too. Number two. Yeah, look, uh, not the first Perry um, to score a double ton in the North Sydney uh, precinct, I would say, but um, <laughs> one one was against one was against Blacktown second grade, <laughs> and the other one was yeah. against England, uh, and um, that one against England wasn't mine. Uh, yeah, the, like I've said, I've always got a, I've always had a problem with Elise Perry because every time I've wanted to Google myself and cricket and I click images, it's just pictures of Elise Perry. So Pez, um, while it's you know it's good to share your name, um, you've pretty much stolen most of the hours of day at work uh, and what I would normally do there. But no, seriously, I, I'm I do have some strange pride in her scoring hundreds, and it, you know you see all these headlines saying. Yeah, Perry tons up, or Perry saves the day, or Perry's <laughs> yeah. the greatest. I just block out the Elise bit and just look at it for um, probably it's too just long. Like newspaper clippings that you just wish related to you that you, <laughs> yeah. if only. I mean, what's the deal with the? It's like a weird multi-format system, isn't it? There's T20s one yes. days and Test matches, and they're kind of added yes, up. Yes, that's right. Where, where does like it sit it. at the moment? So Australia are six four ahead. Yeah, sorry, Pez. I was going to say Australia is six four ahead. Yeah. Uh, the T20 start this Friday again at North Sydney Oval. I'm expecting a packed crowd. I think uh, already five thousand tickets sold for the uh, the T the T20 mm-hmm. uh, North Sydney Oval this coming Friday tomorrow when this comes out. Um, so uh, the the series is poised. Australia just needs one more win to reclaim the Ashes because they they hold it from last time. So uh, the series is poised. Did you guys did you guys take uh, take much in from the women's Test match? I, I did. I'm- it got a lot of coverage over here in England as well. Uh, although okay. a funny thing that happens with English cricket here is, like, I go into work uh, of any kind of weekday, and Sky Sports is on. And when England are doing well against Australia in any match, they'll run the highlights overnight um, of what they were doing that day. When they're not doing well in the match, they just run 2005 highlights uh, on Sky Sports. <laughs> but um, so yeah. I didn't see a lot. But uh, what, one thing I did notice to relate it back to grade cricket. Heather Knight, I believe, was on 79, not out, when they called a halt to play because they couldn't get a result, uh, even though there was a bit of time to go. And I was a bit disappointed from a grade point of view that she didn't just carry on, even though the match was effectively oh. over, uh, and just keep everybody yeah, right. out there while she chased a personal yeah. milestone. I thought that would have been very good and appropriate <laughs> on the grade cricket yeah. ground that is North Sydney Oval. Oh, isn't there any, is there anything worse in cricket than that? Just waiting for the inevitable. Just You're, you're so close to it being over, yet someone is chasing glory. You've already lost, and um, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Nothing more emasculating. That's when you see the worst of humanity, because you, that's when you hear the worst sledges, when the game is already defeated. It's, it's past, yeah. like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Everyone's knackered. The game is lost. And then there's always a guy in his early 30s, early to mid 30s, and he just loses it. What the fuck are we still doing out here? You're fucking keeping us out here. <laughs> it gets angry, just that, doesn't just it? Just that kind it gets of real angry. And he sounds like that as well. Yeah. It gets real angry. And, yeah, then, so that's... Th- and then there's no handshakes after the game. It's just cold shoulders everywhere. And yeah, it's just, fuck it's these just, blokes. It's, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I, uh, I know exactly what you mean. In one of my like very first... Um, this is just talking about myself here, but very first first grade games, and I just mentioned that because I was very. No, that sounds wrong, but I was. I'm saying it because like it was a very special moment for me, and I was very right. proud to be there, and I didn't belong there, as my my cricket stats will eventually show. But um, you know, my dad was there and stuff. We got absolutely hammered by Penrith, um, Pat Cummins' club side. Though he was about twelve at the time, and they chased two hundred and fifty. And one down 
at Howell Oval, if anyone from Sydney um, <laughs> knows Howell Oval, is the most unforgiving mm. ground in the west of Sydney that exists. And uh, they passed us one down, but they decided to keep going because they were chasing a club record, these two batsmen. I think one of them <laughs> might have been Jordan Silk. And I, yeah. I was like, okay, well, you know, the, the, the game's still on and you've got to try your best and all that kind of stuff. No, nah, not our team. Uh, all these older guys... <laughs> Um, made such a mockery of this that some of them started coming into bowl round the wicket with their opposite hand um, that they bowl within a first grade fixture. Some of them, um, as protest, sat down. Yeah. On the, like yeah. literally sat down on the field. Like, this is this isn't park cricket. This is grade cricket at this club, yeah. North Sydney. Guys no, rolling the wrong hand sitting on the ground. Just compl- story before. Yeah. And just none of it surprises me. Yeah, particularly at that club. Hello, any Bears listening out there. And uh, I just thought, wow, for all of the work that had been put in to get to that level, uh, for it to be reduced to like something even worse than park cricket says it all about chasing personal milestones when the game's over. In my mind, Pez, you're still like you still have like zinc across your face. You have the speed deal sunglasses. You're still walking with a bowler, yeah, like, right. like you know, encouraging. Yeah, try harder. Pitch it up. Pitch it up. Yeah, Izzy Westbury coming up. Oh, look, I haven't changed my point of view on the matter. Um, you know, I said what I said a few years ago, and I guess at the moment he's obviously trying to sell a book, so uh, it's amazing how more and more of the story comes out. So are you two mates? I think that's a bit of a stretch to say that we're mates. <laughs> well, that's certainly what he's been saying. Yeah, look, I think, uh, as I said before, it's a bit of a stretch of the imagination, given that uh, we've hardly spoken about since it all happened, and um, obviously haven't played since you know, he took over as captain. But anyway, uh, that's all old news now. So, as I said, I think it's more about him trying to promote his book through the uh, summer. Boys, a very special cricket writer joins us today. Uh, one from the UK. We have on the line with us Izzy Westbury, BBC sports commentator and and I didn't mention this earlier when we were talking off-air, recently anointed a domestic broadcaster of the year in the UK uh, at the ECB Journalism Awards. Izzy, thank you for joining the Great Cricketer again. Um, why have you decided to do this? Goodness gracious me. Um, what an introduction. I guess I played, um, I played great cricket. And, and then um, it's, it's better than the English version, isn't it, really? Because you, you spent some time in So Melbourne, you played Greg in, in, in Australia. You, you're familiar yeah. with our work, uh, with the sport. I came, I came over play and played, I played at um, Paran um, for a couple of seasons. That's how they say I bet it, you right? wanted to call it Paran. You, you would have desperately wanted <laughs> to call it Paran. Sort of, before I came over, I was looking at this ridiculous spelling and trying to work out what on earth it was. But um, Paran is apparently the way it goes. Mm-hmm. How did you find it there? Oh, you I played Como it. Park. Como Park would have been your home ground, or perhaps no, Turak, Turak over number Turak, one. Turak Park, um, absolute oh, sorry. road. You're, I mean, you're a very good cricketer. Turak number one I for knew you. That, oh yeah, yeah. Or Regetti Oval. That was a good place to go. At least mm. the ball actually spun there. I mean, I heard about spinners coming to die in Australia, but bloody hell. Yeah, that was that was a bit unfortunate one. Um, but yeah, yeah. it's a good team. It's a good team. And some good players there. I mean, the only the only awkward thing, I guess, is that, well, I think your esteemed guest um, just before you, his um, his daughter, who's about I don't know, ten years younger than me, could both bowl and bat better than I could. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you talk about his son, Will coming through, uh, Annabelle, mm. God, she's gonna, she's better than Elise Perry. She's scared already. Ooh. Ooh. Headline, clickbait. Well, yeah, you're referring to James Sutherland um, there, who we've got. 
coming up next on the show. So, Izzy, you're also – so you're obviously an excellent cricketer. You played with Middlesex as well in the UK, a little bit of England Academy stuff as far as I understand, uh, and now you commentate with the BBC. Um, you'd obviously know a lot of the um, – a lot, a lot of the guys um, playing – in the women's ashes at the moment would have been probably teammates of yours or people you've played against. You know, like how do you see their prospects going into the final three T20s? You know, where the whole ashes are up for grabs. I guess I mean, I'd hope um, it would be fewer guys and more girls playing in the women's yes, ashes. I, I said it. And um, I thought that was. <laughs> Um, to be honest, like, they've been punching a bit. Um, England winning the World Cup, and actually, I thought it was a bit of a surprise. Um, and coming over to Australia, Australia made quite a few mistakes. I think in the World Cup, the, the bowling was a bit um, terrible, and um, and you and you sorted that out. And and then home grounds, home crowds as well. And when you've got you know um, uh, one woman that only scores centuries when it's a double hundred against uh, the English, then you've got a bit of a a bit of a hiding to nothing. I think I think Australia have to remain the favourites. They're going in with what a four point advantage, um, and traditionally, I guess it's also um, Australia's strongest suit. There's sort of um, three times World T20 winners going into the last one. They got beaten by West Indies in a bit of an anomaly. Um, yeah, I've got to back Australia really here, being realistic. Mm. Having said that, we've got a few of our own superstars. Sarah Taylor, she can do a little bit with the bat. Nat Siver, we saw what she could do at the World Cup. So. Oh, bit deferential, bit English there, saying Australia, but yeah, that's the way it is. Uh, okay, so there's no—I mean, you don't like have uh, text messages being exchanged with the girls saying we can do this. I mean, the reason I'm asking is because Australia, um, both in men and women, it is priming themselves for a um, hyper-aggressive, comprehensive beating of England, and I say beating deliberately because the hashtag is beat England. Um, so I'm just trying to find out whether we can... Exp- you could have done better there. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, of all the things you could come No, he up couldn't. With, oh, yeah, evidently you couldn't. Well, let's hope it gets better on the pitch, but yeah. my goodness, that was that was one to go for. Um, beat England. God, I... <laughs> It's like it's like Elisa Healy behind the stumps just chirping away. Um, I think Catherine Brunt has better chats than you lot altogether. <laughs> How many people are in Cricket Australia's media team? Three hundred. Yeah. I had an ins- I, I worked for Cricket Australia's media team back in the day when I came over. Yeah. Um, I was covering the BBL and the WBBL, but um, yeah, that was an experience. Um, once in a lifetime, perhaps. I'm just picking up on your comment there, Izzy, about Alyssa Healy and uh, and chirping behind the stumps. I mean, does she yeah. have a reputation for being um, fairly chirpy? And you know, how would she compare to, say, Matt Wade, as far as you understand? <laughs> I don't think she says Gary quite eloquent, eloquently. Um, but, yeah, I think the Aussies are known for having a bit of a chat behind the, behind the stumps. Alyssa especially, if she could, you know, um, convert that to some runs with a bat, I think that that would be a bit better for her. Oh, let's go some um, runs before you chat. Yeah. You know what? You know what? I think this this summer we've had in England just gone and the World Cup and now with the Ashes, this is a real turning point in women's cricket because before the coverage of women's cricket used to be like, oh, yeah, we're covering women's cricket. How great are we? <laughs> Whereas now it's really turned into like a competition and a spectacle in its own right. And I think for me, the turning point was that England versus Australia match in Bristol in the World Cup when before you'd have had sort of dutiful fathers bringing their... Their, um, their daughters with them because they felt it was, it was the right thing to do to watch these women. But now it was like, oh, no, we're playing Australia. We want to thump them. Mm. We, we want a good spectacle. We want to beat the Aussies. And I think you're getting that feeling now 
um, in Australia. I was listening to the Tuffers and Vaughan stuff last night on um, on the BBC, and um, and they were saying, I think it was Sophie Eccleston, who's our young spinner. She's only 18. And apparently, the crowd at the um, at North Sydney Oval were absolutely hammering it into her down at third man. Um, so I think there's a real <laughs> sense of, right, we want to beat you lot. It's not just... Um, happy chappies uh, watching women's cricket. So, so Izzy, are you saying that that cricketing abuse is a form of progression progression in the game? <laughs> if, that, if, that, if you can call it that, yeah, let's go with that. I mean, I, when the World Cup final, um, my, my sort of standard bearer for right, we, women's cricket has now reached the big time, is that there were ticket touts outside Lords, ticket touts of women's cricket. Well, I never thought I'd see that day. <laughs> In my defence, I fought six beers and uh, I didn't realise Sophie was 18 years old. So, um, you know, I apologise for the things that I said to her when she was standing at third man. Um, I want to ask you, Izzy, because I want to compare everything um, to, 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 to the greatest the greatest moment ever. Um, and I just need to know everything. And that Amanda Wellington, her ball to Tammy Beaumont, is that the greatest ball that's ever been bowled in cricket? Because it was amazing. Shane Warne who? I mean, jeez. Um, no, it's not. I tell you why not. Because I saw her. I saw her, the first time I saw her was playing in the WBBL, and she was this chirpy little kid that sort of came on. I think she was playing for strikers, and she bowled Meg Lanning around the legs. And from then on, you're like, well, this is it. The problem there it wasn't caught on camera, um, but um, yeah, she can turn it a bit. And she's 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 got a bit of attitude as well. A spunky little character. Very good. Uh, maybe we'll turn our attention to the the uh, the men's form of the game now. And I saw some pictures actually came out uh, of Mo and Ali and and Alistair Cook feeding some crocodiles and petting some koala bears this week. And uh, you know, I don't think there's anything cuter on this planet than a photo of Alistair Cook with a cuddly koala first and foremost. But I guess you know with the with the, the series fast approaching now, it's only it's only seven or eight days away. How are you seeing how this is going to unfold? I mean, I noticed that Mo and Ali had scared eyes with that crocodile. Is he going to be scared facing Cummins on a green top at the Gabba? Oh, I'd be more scared facing Mr. Stark, to be honest. But having said that, they bowl, they bowl pretty rapidly. I mean, there's so much hot air going into the ashes. It's actually mm. ridiculous. <laughs> um, and it happens every time round. And, I, and I, you know yeah. what? It gets to the point where the, when the first ball's bowled, it's an anti-climate. It's like Christmas. Like, the best bit is the build-up. And yeah. then there's stuff happens, and you're just like, do I have to be here? Do I have to go through this again? Um, <laughs> you know, also, the other thing is, right, you're going about England's cricket team not perhaps having the best pedigree right now. But Australia aren't that great either. Um, Hang on. You know, it's, only, it's only a year ago where, honestly, all I saw across social media, across the newspapers, was this is the death of Australian cricket when you lost inside three days to South Africa and half their team are already playing in England under Colby pack deals yeah, I mean yeah. it's 365 days since then you've got an opener Matt Renshaw right who I think is cracking he's also English let's be honest um, <laughs> who's, he's got a test average of 35 Good point. and yet because he hasn't scored a few runs in the Sheffield mm. Shield again another competition named after a place in England um, <laughs> everyone's going a bit nuts and then to even be considering Matthew Wade behind the stumps I honestly think it's only because he can say um, oh, was it nice Gary um, yeah, how can Phil never be overlooked he's the best keeper one of the best keepers in the world um, yeah I think Australia having the heebie-jeebies I just don't think the English media have really latched onto it and besides Chris Wilkes has got a six foot and he looks like a bloody Adonis what more can you want oh, Izzy that is 
fantastic. That is uh, nice. I, right. I, I love that. Are you rig-based selection. That, is Chris Wokes a, a rig-based selection? I, I actually haven't... Um... A rig-based selection? Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, I always... From the moment I saw Shane Watson posing in that Lord's Changing Room, um, mm. I feel as though rig-based selection is the only way to go. <laughs> Chris Wokes is up there. Oh, fantastic. Is he... Uh, like, I... <laughs> I think you've lit the fuse on the series as much as you were talking about hot air. Uh, I think you've actually lit the fuse. Um, I mean, uh, let me just let me just go, caveat go that with. I mean, I still think we. I still still think we're going to get smashed, but you've got to have a bit of chat before. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I hope you'd consider coming back onto the Great Cricketer Podcast so we can continue this kind of tete-a-tete over uh, Australia versus England. Because normally uh, on the show we're reasonably self-loathing, but there's something about. Um, Something about this that makes me fire up about Australia. Um, mm. I, I think we're going to smash it too. <laughs> oh, Higo, you just followed me. That's kind of you. No, I wasn't beforehand, but now you do. That's good. No idea. This is good. Um, Izzy, uh, that'll uh, now feels like I'm cutting it off, but I'm not uh, at all. It's just kind of coming, to, yeah, yeah. coming to the end. Yeah. I really enjoy. I'll just hand you a spade. Yeah. Keep digging. Yeah, no, I've done. I've done well this one. Um, but uh, all that aside, and your professionalism and my mediocrity um, aside, uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, for a couple of minutes on the Great Cricketer. That's um, that was very funny. Thanks, Champ. <laughs> oh no, she. <laughs> I don't play cricket for results I don't come to take wickets score runs or win games I play cricket to look good rigs, chests, pipes Circuits, salads. This is my domain. So when I hit the sheds, I need to radiate success. That's why I use Chop King Cologne by TGC. With a blend of the finest handcrafted English Willow and Kookaburra Red King Leather, Chop King Cologne lets me radiate cricket. Whatever the ground, Whatever the circuit. Chopkin Cologne. The new fragrance for men by TGC. Reek of runs without hitting them. Well, lads, lads, we are venturing into a very serious territory here. Uh, when we trumpeted the announcement of our next guest on the pod this week, boys, I noticed uh, a response from one guy who uh, merely put up a large picture of Jeffrey Boycott, and its title was Forward <laughs> Defence, and he wrote, Get ready for plenty of this, boys. Um, so I, I say challenge accepted, uh, <laughs> mainly because we don't bowl line and length if you follow the, uh, the metaphor poorly. Um, but look, with four first-class matches for Victoria, nine list-day appearances and three first-grade premierships in the pre-My Cricket era, uh, he's probably the lowest-profile cricketer we've had on. <laughs> But, but, but then again, he's the boss of all cricket, the ultimate boss of all cricket in Australia, and thus the ultimate club president. I'm talking, of course, about head honcho of Cricket Australia, CEO James Sutherland. James, welcome to The Great Cricketer, and why did you agree to do this? 
<laughs> uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And what a compliment to my batting to be compared with Jeff Boycott. We'd <laughs> <laughs> uh, like to get our guests on site early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if only I could have a forward defence as good as Jeff Boycott. Uh, well said, well said. Um, <laughs> Oh, interesting start. James, we always start the same way, uh, regardless of who we're speaking to. Um, you know, this is the grade cricketer after all. What is your relationship to grade cricket, particularly from a, a playing point of view? Uh, look, I think uh, I can say undoubtedly the time of my life. Um, uh, I have the fondest memories of um, my involvement in the game from uh, my grade cricket days and um Particularly playing uh, at Melbourne, I played a lot at Melbourne University and uh, a little bit less at, at Melbourne, but um, they were great times. And uh, I was fortunate enough to play uh, in a few premierships. And indeed, I was coach of a, a great club. I was coach of university for five years as well. So um, I've heard all the excuses in the book as to why someone might not turn up at training. <laughs> James, who were the kind of characters at the club that, that still stick in your memory when you when you joined the club all those years ago as a young man? Is there any kind of characters that welcomed you in with open arms and still stick in the memory? Yeah, I um, I came uh, I came from Melbourne as a uh, in those days in those days the rules were that if you were a student at Melbourne University you had to play at Melbourne University. So I was. Um, I was a recruit with some sort of background, having played um, a couple of seasons at Melbourne previously, and and I was sort of welcomed um, welcomed as a as a high potential recruit to to university. Mm. University traditionally were um, a, an underperformer, um, but fortunately um, at the time I came, a number of other good cricketers arrived at the club, and we had a new coach, and uh, I was certainly. Um, Certainly introduced to the game and the club um, with open arms, and certainly happy memories of uh, those early days uh, there at the club. And uh, we actually played finals in that first year, so uh, I learned a, learned a lot. But I did did recall uh, a, a now doctor surgeon by the name of Ian Holton, who was um, someone uh, who was a bit of a star player at the club at the time. And um, I remember a pre-season trip where I was introduced to. Um, what Melbourne University Cricket Club might be all about, and uh, I have fun memories of, of that weekend. And uh, staying at Ian Holton's place down at the beach was uh, a very amusing weekend. And uh, he he didn't disappoint as an entertainer, and uh, he's now a very responsible surgeon. I might add. <laughs> it's a lot of questions that we have off the back of that, but we'll probably just try and move on in the interest of time. <laughs> James, it, it says uh, it says unreliably, I'm sure, on Crick Info that you played 17 seasons at uh, Macquarie at uh, Macquarie at uh, Melbourne University, rather, uh, and you're now a life member. Are, are all of those things true to start with? I think 17 might be overplaying it a bit, but uh, I, I played. Um yeah, it must have been 10 or 12 seasons, I, I would say, at, at university. Uh, my last five of them as, as coach. And, right. um, yeah, so so something like that. And I probably, you know, five years or something like that at, uh, at Melbourne. I think two, two uh, three maybe as a, as a student, a secondary school student, and uh, and then a couple of years I came back. Um, so it's obviously been yours, yeah. A senior player. You've obviously had uh, quite a quite a relationship with grade cricket over the years, and now you're sort of running the whole ship. I mean, have you seen have you seen a significant change in grade cricket from when you very, your very first day starting playing all the way through to now? Are you seeing a, a big shift in grade cricket? 
look, I, I think, um, I mean, the game continues to evolve and change, doesn't it? But um, at the same, I've got, I've actually got two kids now um, that are playing grade cricket. So I've got, I've sort of gone full cycle. Uh, I've got an 18-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter, um, mm-hmm. both who are playing uh, grade mm-hmm. cricket in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And so I'm pretty close to the, the grade scene and obviously um, university. And, and in many respects, it, it, it is always changing, but in other ways, it's always remaining the same. So, James, you, obviously you just mentioned your two kids there, son Will, obviously a huge player of promise, and your daughter Annabelle, the WBBL player herself, and you a former state player, and Will, of course, the current CEO of Cricket Australia. I'm just wondering if your wife is a cricket fan, because I really hope she is. Um my wife Heidi is um, a converted cricket fan. Um, she has <laughs> been known to say she has she has been known to say to me um, at times, "All your kids love cricket, and it's all your fault." Um, <laughs> and, um, but to her credit, she's uh, she's a great supporter of um, of all of us um, in in our cricketing pursuits, and particularly the the kids. And uh, so much so, I might add that she's currently on the committee of the Paran Cricket Club, so she is well and truly converted. Very good. I remember oh, I grew up and my brother was a few years younger than me and we were a, definitely a big cricketing household and my mum had no uh, background in cricket, so we created a diagram that we put on the fridge of all the fielding positions, so she had to <laughs> learn how to understand the game and we used to quiz her um, at, at dinner time about the fielding positions and she really enjoyed that. Really brought it together. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet she did. I'm, I'm not sure Heidi would enjoy that exercise so much or that she would go terribly well on it, but um, she's uh, she's doing a great job for Paran Cricket Club and um, and um, very much encouraging uh, them as a, as a club um, that um, grows cricket as a sport for girls as well. <laughs> James, uh, let, let's move forward to your administration and uh, and and test cricket and you know we're going to have a, a go at talking about international affairs here but um can, can you sort of crystal ball us james what you think test cricket will look like in 15 years at least in your perfect world we understand there's a test championship coming up etc but you know can you tell our listeners out there what they could expect from test cricket in sort of 10 to 15 years uh yeah it's a good question isn't it i mean it, uh, it there's so much in many ways, there's so much doubt about Test cricket um, and and its future. I think in some parts of the world, it really is in in a desperate state, and that's partly because uh, it's it's just not commercially viable. Uh, I think there are some really significant warning signals in um, some parts of the world, and you know, as a starting point, if you go to India, the the country where um, you know that is supposedly the most lucrative commercial market. Um, the, the valuation, the current valuations on a test match, five days of test cricket, um, is exactly the same as um, the valuation on a um, three-hour T20 international match. So um, that's a perspective on um, what the market in the in the biggest country in in the cricketing world sees um, the value of test cricket, and that has a significant impact on flow-on impact to to other countries. So the the alarm bells are ringing for Test cricket, and that's one of the reasons why I think this context around Test cricket is so important with this league um, championship. And, and so, coming back to the point, um, 15 years' time, I sincerely hope that um, this league um, will create extra relevance and drive and importance for Test cricket. Ideally, it has the championship has significant 
incentives for countries and players to stay involved in test cricket and um, the, re- the rewards from that and the recognition from that will um, will also be seen and reflected in, in fans coming, uh, I mean, continuing to stay connected to the game. I mean, what makes you think that the championship will be such a commercial success? Because, I mean, and I'm interested just, you know, you're an accountant in accounting terms. If Test Cricket was like a standalone P&L, does it actually make money? And if so, or well, I presume not, but what, what makes the Test Championship uh, likely to make money? How is it going to generate more revenues? Well, I think, I mean, money, you know, money is, is basically a function of um, fan interest and, and support. And and I think there's you know there's a lot of a romantic connection to to Test cricket and and rightly so, uh, but Test cricket has to remain relevant and contemporary um, for for the modern day fan. And I think it's challenged by the fact that there are two other forms of the game um, that are that are alternatives. So um, so there's a there's a that that context and relevance is particularly important and. Um, I don't think there's any silver bullet solution, so I'm not suggesting it's that, but it's a, it's another reason why we've been very strong in trying to um, introduce day-night test cricket to time shift it into a more popular hour for, or a more available hour for fans to engage with cricket. And uh, I think there are other things that, that need to be looked at, including, including wickets, including um, pitches, to ensure that there is a better balance between bat and ball and what I'm talking about there is is actually giving more advantage to the bowler um, in um, in test cricket to make make the game more interesting because the one day game and the T20 game are in terms of pitches and conditions are, are heavily favour in favour of the batsman and I think um, to even that up a little bit for the bowler will make for more compelling test cricket. So just on to Test cricket, um, I mean, we had the first uh, women's Test match in two and a half years anywhere in the world at North Sydney Oval over the weekend just gone. Is that purely on a commercial basis that there hasn't been any other women's Test matches in the last two and a half years or is there something else? Well, not just commercial. I think it's um, uh, it, commercial as in co- revenue cost. I think it's all also more about uh, public interest. You know, we were delighted with the crowds um, mm. for the for the test match um but in in other aspects um, there was some fantastic batting achievements but over whatever it was 400 overs there were you know there were 21 wickets for the game and um the run rate was was relatively slow there were probably a whole Mm. lot of conducive factors um to to that outcome but i think that world cricket icc and member countries have decided that the best format by which to promote the women's game is the t20 format Mm -hmm. and that's the the primary format um and and we continue to hold um in the men's on in the men's side um test cricket as you know the the primary format in the game that we want to um, preserve and and make the ultimate form um and and you know it comes back to the the question and discussion before about about test cricket but i think we won't see a lot more women's test cricket um in the future but hopefully it will continue to be a part of the ashes at least that's uh excuse me james so that's excellent and and cheers for that and cheers for uh listening to us try and do our best uh barry cassidy uh, on all of these questions here, but um, <laughs> while, while, we are, while we are in that vein, uh, and while we do have you, like it would be remiss not to ask about the um, the Stokes affair, and it is serious. Um, I'm curious about your view on it from an organisational perspective, um, 
and, and this is kind of my premise, you might dispute it, but I, I sense some groundwork is being laid from English cricket to prepare us for the idea that if the police don't lay charges and we know it's a police matter, then, you know, as their, um, as your counterpart, uh, the ECB chief, Tom Harrison, said, Ben could rehabilitate his reputation on the field. Um, and so while we don't know everything, do you have a view about the role of organisations independently disciplining and supporting its playing staff once the law has had its way? Well, yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I can relate to those comments from Tom. I don't, I don't know... I mean, we can read between the lines on what he's saying in terms of that rehabilitation. But I think that um, there are there are examples over time where uh, our players have been in trouble, and um, we've you know that that creates a, an opportunity for for development and growth, and um, for them not to make the same mistake again. And um, there are probably numerous examples over history of Australian players um, in that scenario. So um, I'm not sure exactly whether we're uh, whether we're bracing ourselves for. Stokes to to play in the Ashes if he's if he's not charged, but um, whatever the case um, may be, um, it's a difficult situation, no doubt for uh, ECB, and uh, I'm glad I'm not in Tom Harrison's shoes on this one. <laughs> I appreciate that, uh, James. We'll move on to something far less solemn than that, which is our throwdowns section. Uh, no doubt you're a huge listener to the Grey Cricketer podcast, so you'll be completely familiar with this whole format. But uh, throwdowns, <laughs> as you know, can sometimes be wonderful uh, full tosses that you smash back at the bowler. Um, you can want to have them for a very long time. Other times they can be Yorkers or they can be at your head and slip out of your hands. Um, we're going to ask questions to you, which essentially are selfish because the joke is wrapped up in the question. But um, let's see how you go with them anyway. Uh, are you ready? <laughs> I hope so. Half volleys or just full We'll see. We might. Uh, you, don't, you don't know what you're going to get. That's the yeah. beauty of the throwdown. Yeah, ex- ex- <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, I think I'll start off softly. James, a few weeks ago, Pat Cummins came onto this show and announced that the entire Australian fast bowling brigade uh, would be donning moustaches both in support of Movember and to pretend to be Mitchell Johnson. Uh, can you announce to the country that you won't be doing that this year, given that, unfortunately for you, and it's not your fault because it's predetermined, like, like I'm bald, for example, <laughs> I, I wouldn't choose to be, um, you are only capable of a dirty Sanchez moustache? <laughs> yes, correct. I'm not, uh, I'm not joining up to November this year, and uh, I think that, that's a good thing. Um, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good look, and uh, as you may recall, we actually had a... Uh, a bad time of it in Hobart last year, which coincided with uh, early the early stages of my moustache, and it seems as though every time I've photographed in the paper ever since. Ever since it has <laughs> well, that well, ridiculous that, look. That, that's what I was going to say, James. That, that, with respect, when I you know click onto media sites, etc., if I see a picture of you with a moustache, I immediately know it's going to be a critical piece uh, about you because you know, <laughs> the sub editor's probably just gone. Well, let's pull out the moustache pic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's clearly it's, funny for you. It might have been a thousand photos have taken me taken in the past, but um, there's about three of them with me with a moustache, and they're the ones I use the whole time. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving along, James. So you're a qualified accountant and a former uh, professional cricketer, a bowler with a first class average of thirty nine point seven. How far did you round this down when interviewing for the job at Cricket Australia? <laughs> Every bit counts, doesn't it? Always the one, mate. James, um, do you have the power to make a baggy green? And can I have one? <laughs> um, 
They're yeah, they're uh, they're locked away yep. downstairs in in storage. Um, yep. What what would your offer be? Uh, just just to receive it <laughs> for free. He wasn't expecting a follow up. <laughs> oh, I think you probably want to put a better offer across the table than that. I've just got one on that, James. Given your administrators and you know where they're locked up and stuff, I mean, can you you know tell the nation you know, today that? Or at least answer this question. I mean, do you guys have it? You know, you and Pat Howard, etc. Do you ever just sort of secretly go down there and put them on? You know, sort of maybe eight <laughs> eight thirty at night or something. Everyone's out. Sit there, maybe a glass of scotch or something. Yeah. Well, there's actually a mirror down there, so we can actually not only put it on, but we can see ourselves with it with it on. So it's. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, well, why are you it's, naked? Probably we probably only do it you know, once a week, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it's still good fun. <laughs> Uh, James, when you eventually get a gig running the ICC, do you plan on greeting your former CA colleagues at functions with zero eye contact, staring blankly over their shoulders as if you've ever known them? <laughs> um, depends on whether they're voting for the resolutions or the recommendations that I'm putting forward at the time. Uh, Let's say they are. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what what Dave wants to know is, uh, d- do you ever get champed by the BCCI? Hmm. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, James, um, just back to kind of grade matters. So I've just looked at your pro- player profile on Crick Info, and it, uh, you know, in the current climate where behaviour off the field is almost as under the microscope as behaviour on it, I was surprised to read your player bio on Crick Info, which says James Sutherland was a medium fast bowler who became a versatile off field all rounder. Uh, it certainly raised my eyebrows. As a cricketer, how important is it to be as versatile off the field as you are on it? <laughs> Um, I, I guess you've got to try, but um, you know, my my versatility on the field wasn't uh, wasn't terribly good. I was uh, I was definitely not not an all rounder on the field. I, I'm actually trying to be an all rounder now because I'm I'm back uh, back playing this year with our uh, 13 year old son, and um, that's uh, uh, that's quite an experience after five years out of the game. <laughs> Very good. James, The look, the past 12 months has seen a raft of issues, uh, you know, the controversial collective bargaining dispute, scheduling, on-field results, existential concerns over the national selection process. So what do you think about Warney as the next Bachelor? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great show, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it as a, as a former teammate of Shane's. Um, and uh, I, I just, I think it'd be great. We, we've uh, we've seen him in the jungle, and um, perhaps it's time. Um, uh, I think the ratings would be uh, would be a real boon. James, uh, you're doing you're doing well here, um, enduring this. Uh, <laughs> some years ago, it was brought to our attention that Sydney grade cricket intended to fall in in line with the rest mm. of the country, uh, who'd mm. rebranded to Premier Cricket. Um, we considered as a trio penning a comprehensive submission uh, outlining the reasons why the original title should remain, uh, not least because everyone knows there's nothing premier about driving on a motorway every Saturday to play against 20-year-olds who sledge you relentlessly while you fail both on the field and at home because you're not progressing your life. Uh, did you rebrand grade cricket to premier cricket in a desperate bid to delegitimize the grade cricketer? 
What's he going to say to that? Uh, definitely not. But you, you guys seem to be going pretty well. I think your uh, your brand seems to be pretty well intact and growing by the season. So um, I don't think the rebranding to Premier Cricket is having any, any impact on you. We all know what you're talking about. I don't know what to do with compliments. Incidentally, I, I was no, no. I was fledged on the weekend, um, and uh, it was the team that we played against was uh, just constantly running sort of MOU type banter at me the whole time while I batted. Um, you got any examples? Dispute ball, dispute ball and things like that. I was batting with my 13 year old son at the, at the time and he hasn't played a lot of senior cricket and hasn't heard a lot of banter or sledging or anything like that but right. after we had batted enough that he went, he went out after me and he came and sat with me and he said, geez dad, aren't they a bunch of flogs? <laughs> Using the patent word flog as well, which is very prominent in great cricket. Yeah. Very good. James, what's Pat Howard like? <laughs> uh, Pat's, uh, Pat's a great guy, actually. He's a fantastic bloke to work with, and um, certainly uh, he's got um, he's got a difficult job because he's uh, he oversees. Um, our whole team performance function, but uh, an outstanding bloke to work with. And um, you, whilst uh, whilst he's got difficult decisions to make and is pushing change and performance outcomes all the time, um, I've got I've got the highest regard for him, and uh, would would say that um, you know of all the people that I've worked with in sport, I've never known anyone to be um, more accountable and more keen to win. Oh, that's a that's a that's a wonderful tribute, James. Uh, we might get to the last one, Dave. Do you have another one as well? Uh, maybe after you, mate. Okay, Feel okay, free. no, no, very good. Okay, well, I was just going to say, James. Again, it's just a completely unfair question, but uh, as we go to where we don't know what the test side is, it's likely that you know something about the test side. So just to make it easy on you, um, if I ask whether Matt Renshaw's in, just say nothing. Uh, and if um, Cameron Bancroft's in, start talking. We won't edit this in post. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, I've got it. Understood. Did you, did you just whisper Jake Lehman? Yeah. <laughs> Baby Boof, I'm pretty sure I heard that. <laughs> it's unfair. Yeah, I'll leave that with you, boys. <laughs> oh, we'll leave it there, I reckon. Yeah. I, I think I've, I've exhausted my throwdowns for now. James, boys. Uh, th- thank you for being such an, uh, a, a good sport um, dealing with uh, these uh, selfish questions, but also yeah, giving, us, questions. Uh, giving us giving a, us a great deal of insight into uh, your thinking on the future of cricket and, um, uh, and everything else wrapped up within that. And it was great to learn that um, you could actually play the game and were a teammate of Shane Warnes as well. I think that was a nice one to drop in. <laughs> yeah, thanks guys. Uh appreciate your time. Keep up the good work. Cheers, James. Thanks, mate. It has been referred to as uh the the best uh sports writing tribute to to a particular sport since fever pitch. Uh does it do anything to enhance literature? It would be another question. Another <laughs> I wouldn't even call it literature really. That time of the week again, hashtag AskTGC. It was absolutely fantastic to uh, to speak to both Izzy Westbury and, of course, James Sutherland. Um, those, some of those throwdowns were outrageous, ridiculous, and uh, we hope you enjoyed at least some of them, if not all of them. We just missed the opportunity, he goes, to, to call him Southo. I think that's a really we, we bad missed opportunity from us. <laughs> Can we call him back now? Let's call him back. Um, all right, let's get straight into it. Armchair Expert 17 says... 
Just picked up Teen No Sympathy. Keen to get stuck in, but I never read the first one. Do I need to, or can I jump straight in? <laughs> yeah, you need oh. to. Uh, yeah. B- because we need we need money. So, uh, yeah, no, definitely yeah. <laughs> get it, read it in a day, yeah. and then get the second one without a doubt. But also oh. don't if you don't want to. <laughs> I mean, even if you haven't read a single book in your life, I think you'll be fine starting with Tea and No Sympathy. I think you'll be able to pick up. I mean, the book does pick up where the last one left off, but you'll be right, mate. Just just go ahead and read and, and you'll, you'll find your rhythm. Please give us all the royalties. Uh, DM asks, hey, great cricketer, just read your book and it made me hate cricket and humanity. <laughs> Question, why do you use imperial, imperial units of measure? Is this an alpha thing and you think it's tougher than metric? Or are you going for the US market? <laughs> Both. <laughs> to be I think that's a really good question. I hadn't thought about it. Could we make it in America? Mm. I mean, we've seen how successful Paul Hogan, Steve Irwin have been over there. Do you reckon Americans would embrace niche cricket jokes or would we have to customise our content to kind of capture that market share in the States? Could we adopt the franchise model, Ooh. like the rec league basketballer? <laughs> All great questions all. <laughs> uh, Andrew Leslie, he writes in, asked TGC, could grey cricketers' rising notoriety actually be leading to ill-informed journalists using the term grey cricket in order to gain more clicks for bizarre stories from park cricket? Put another way, could you guys actually be part of the problem? This is actually a very interesting question, uh, Andre Leslie. Leslie uh, fantastic question. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, it's a Beatles effect, without a doubt. We've become bigger than Jesus, and now people are kind of latching onto our brand to uh, get clicks from articles, without a shadow of a doubt, the Beatles effect. Yeah, I I kind of agree with with Andre there. I mean, I won't mention the publications or the companies involved, but I have seen a proliferation of grade cricket mentions in the media (laughs) lately, and it's obviously (laughs) an attempt to leverage um, the fame that we've got from being a you know, one third of Twitter account each, respectively. But I think whenever grade cricket is mentioned, it's always in relation to some terrible park standard game where some yeah, some yeah. right Again, really bloated yuck. bloke has taken like a yeah. triple hat trick or belted four hundred runs in a session or something, which obviously never happens in Sydney Test cricket. So yeah, is, is everyone morbidly obese in park cricket? <laughs> like, you never see you never see a rig in park cricket. Voice said that. You? Like you mm. never see a rig in park cricket. Mm. And I'd, and I'd love to see more of a rigging park cricket. Can I ask the listeners, actually, if you do ever see um, poorly attributed labels of cricket, if you do see park cricket labelled grade cricket, please get in touch and uh, we'll see yep, what we please. can do. Evan Dix asks, having been exiled to Melbourne after quitting Sydney grade cricket, I find myself back in the Harbour City for a conference. The social function is at Cargo Lounge. How should one proceed? Evan, fantastic question. He goes, you're a, you'd be in a good uh, position to answer this, I'd imagine. Stalwart of I would cargo. suggest that I've been to Cargo Lounge uh, roughly 200 times in my life. Um, Just the lounge, the though. I went there. No, not, the, not the bar, the lounge. Uh, is, is there a downstairs? Which is is there any more? That. Is there actually any more? Uh, well, it's Was there ever one? It last weekend. Was there, <laughs> isn't that the bathroom? You wouldn't be there. There's no There's social currency coins. There. <laughs> I'm not sure if we've asked uh, if we answered Evan's question there, but um, it is it is actually the home of Sydney Sydney Circuit Cricket. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Sydney Cricket Circuit, go with it though. <laughs> yeah. Own it. Own it. 
Yeah, well, I think in a roundabout way we have answered the question because it really just precipitates a whole bunch of uh, words around whether there was an upstairs or a downstairs ever at Cargo because yep. Cargo is his place yep. on uh, Cockle Bay Wharf in Sydney's harbour that's mm. um, yeah where mm. everyone from Sydney grade cricket went and the downstairs was for the plebs, like the lower grades, and the upstairs was for the first graders. And, um, uh, you know, when you felt... When you're upstairs, you 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 felt a million dollars, or you know, a hundred dollars, which is the maximum amount of money I'd ever have. I should also say that I actually have seen numerous Test cricketers mm. in that bar after after a Test match, and also just on a Friday night. I used, I used to see a lot of Test cricketers and, and rugby union players in Wallaby Bar in yeah, like well, 2003 to, to four. That was really yep. yeah where I saw most of my. What, like what would what would the what would cricket what would the equivalent cricket bar be called like the baggy green bar or something or would you go to a bar called the first grade bar? There's so many cricketers' arms, but they don't they don't really have cricket in them. Like uh, there'll be good if there was a grade cricket specific bar, but then yeah, you'd say that every club has one of those. I'm pretty sure it's cargo. Uh, word of the Lord writes in. He says, imagine if you will being consistently champed by your wife while playing backyard cricket because she can bat and bowl better than you. Would this be a turn-on or an erosion of your manhood? What would your dad have to say on the matter? There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack this there. This is in relation to Elise Perry, because he's used the, the hashtag Elise Perry and also asked TJC. Well, I, I mean, well, we're going to have to... Speaking of wallabies, we're going to have to get Matt Tamua on, Elise Perry's partner, possibly husband, fiancé. Yes. Uh, he's probably yeah. experienced exactly partners. this. Yeah, perfect partners. The old Woody Show segment. <laughs> More passion in your voice there than the previous two series of the Great Cricket Podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's ask Matt Tamua. Yeah, let's get Matt Tamua on. I think look, if you're spending all your time playing backyard cricket with your wife and getting dominated, no less, then you obviously have a very dysfunctional marriage, and your dad wouldn't be impressed at all. Simple. I mean, Christmas is. Christmas is around the corner. There's going to be a lot of backyard uh, ashes being played, so it's uh, it's 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 a very relevant question. Uh, last one of the week, chaps. Uh, some sports nuffy again, who we had on last week. He's just screenshotted um, one of his notes, and he said, "Word got back to my folks that I was closing on a ton on Saturday. So shocked that I was getting so shocked that I was getting runs two weeks in a row. They came down together as a couple. First thing they'd done together in a while. Mum sat on the hill with the dog while Dad proceeded to get blind with the old boys watching along. When I was dismissed, Mum left and Dad stayed to drink on. Am I keeping this marriage alive? And if I fail, is it doomed? Has oh, Jack asked First thing they've done That's together really in a good. while. It's great this detail hasn't gone unnoticed. I want to think of yeah. I mean, the thought processes when uh, he plays and misses at one. You know, like his teammates will yell out "work hard," and he'll be thinking, "I, I bloody well yeah. am." You know, I'm I'm really trying to keep this family together. Like, believe me, I'm working hard. You know, tears streaming down his face as he hits a cover drive for two. That's another couple of years together. <laughs> it's just it's just like yeah, just a, just like a third slips moves in and the captain from like mid on goes, A lot of pressure on this bloke now and they have no idea how much pressure actually is on him. No you idea. Know, like... Absolutely. We talk a lot about how cricket destroys marriages, but this is a rare example of the opposite. Cricket to save a marriage. <laughs> Jeez, that's a lot of pressure at the crease. <laughs> Chaps, what a wonderful show this has been. Thank you as ever so much for your company. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can follow us on all of them if you so wish. We very much appreciate your time tuning into this each week. Uh, anything else? What are we selling? We're flogging a book, Tea and No Sympathy. 
that's still out there. Mm. Actually, last week we talked about the podcast and uh, we received a lot of positive reviews. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, yeah. As ever, we love doing this. We can't wait for next week already. The Ashes, it's seven days away. Get ready. Yeah. <laughs>